Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Mary Jarvis, and I am really honored and so excited to be sitting down with Amber Jeffrey. Amber, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Megan, thank you. And it's a total delight to be here with you. I love your work. I love seeing your face on socials and gives me a little pep and I'm like, oh, there's Meg. So it's really great to be here on your podcast today. You, your voice was one of the early ones in, on your podcast, The Grief Gang, that really soothed me. You have an unbelievable, like, radio announcer voice, but also... Do you think? I do. Oh, my God. You have the best, like, sexy and funny <laughs> and, yeah, just feels, like, grounding and real. And so your podcasts have been really important. And when people are asking, what do you listen to and what, who, who helps I'm always recommending. And partly because I think you do such a beautiful job in both being in the sad and the hard and also the unbelievable joy. Like you have such a big smile on your face right now and it's so (laughs) infectious. No, definitely. And that's one thing I've been always been, it's not even a thing of like toxic positivity. And there's times when I think, oh God, am I straddling the line of toxic positivity here? And I'm like, no, I actually just feel fucking good. (laughs) And I'm like, I want to share that. And to I did the time and you'll go back through like my catalog, either through the podcast or on social media. And there will be times and periods where it is just the sadness, the despair of it all. And then it flips. And that is just the ebbs and flows of grief. You're sometimes up here, you're down there, you're in the middle. And I've just always, when I started this venture, I just always made a pact to myself of no matter whatever happens here, I have to stay true to myself. And if that is saying... I actually don't feel that heavy in my grief at the moment, but I know it's still there. I'll say it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm still maybe debilitated in the bed. And when I am debilitated in the bed and can't get up, I'll share that too, potentially. So I've always been really conscious to share the duality of grief because, yeah, it exists and it's real. And they can both exist together as 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 well of a multitude of other emotions. One doesn't have to cancel the other out is my motto. It's totally right. And I do remember, I think the first time, I don't know, that I put into my Google search or found, maybe I found you on Instagram first because yeah. I remember images. It was at a time where you were having a really hard time. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this lady and me then, because I was having a really hard time. Yeah. And I think exactly what you're describing, which is like being able to be real about it, which is, you know, just because I'm laughing and it's hysterical and I'm out with friends and I'm at a concert doesn't mean that two days from now, I'm not going to be having a hard time. Yeah. Can you, for our listeners who are not aware, which is hard to imagine <laughs> of your story and what you do in the grief space, could you just tell us how you come into the world of grief and loss? Of course. Yeah. So my my kind of initial you know, beginning and entrance to this world was in 2016 of June 2016, when my mum at 51 years old suddenly died of a heart attack just here one day and dropped down dead the next. And I was 19 at the time, freshly 19. And she was my first real close experience of a personal bereavement and the real fucking mother load one, quite literally the mother and I was like wow I thought my first handling of death could have been something a little bit more I don't know but no so I hit my mum and uh, yeah I was catapulted at 19 into a world of grief and looking amongst my peers who hadn't experienced maybe such a person like they had experienced losses but 
and not even to get into the hierarchies of grief as I've now learned, but of how that it didn't feel like it rocked their worlds like yeah. mine. I was 19 and you're at a real coming of age age then you think one you think you know the dog's bollocks and you think you know yeah, everything yeah. about life yeah and I'm like I know what I want to do with my career this and that I know my sense of self no you don't at all and then throwing in the person who was really at the core of your sense of self and has helped you develop a large amount of that sense of self is now gone it's like someone just came and wiped the whiteboard clean and was like from scratch and I was like whoa and then grappling with just all the other things of just trying to yeah, to be a young teenager, still a teenager at this point, and try and be quote unquote normal amongst my peers and enjoy the things that we used to as young girls used to enjoy with my relationship, try and be the same partner that I was prior to the day my mum died. And just in a constant battle with myself of who am I? Who am I? What am I going to be? How is this grief defining me? And that just ended up in me just suppressing it. I was like, that is just too much to deal with. Let me just try and just be, try and be just a 19 year old girl going into her 20s, try and just focus on the career and just get going that way. And so I did. And I really threw myself back into my work at the time. I used to work in the airline industry. And so I, and I did. And I, I progressed really well in there. And I look back and I was like, there was good times during those three years. Yeah. But it was the summer of 2019. But although amongst those three years where life was seemingly relatively good, I was inside burning alive and was slowly and surely cutting off every single person who I'd ever cared about and needed in my life slowly drip like just get them out really sifting them out and by the time I reached summer of 2019 I looked around and I'd burnt one last bridge and I just thought oh that maybe wasn't a good one there for me to do <laughs> and I just it was almost like a like out of body experience I just looked and I was almost looking at the fire that was my life like the horizon fire and I was like fuck I'm there's no one else to blame here that was all me mm -hmm. I've released hell on here and really gave myself a tough time and that very quickly snowballed into feelings of depression and then ideas of suicide as well mm -hmm. and it was when the ideas of suicide came into the equation that I realized that's not okay I very realized that quite quickly and I decided to go down exploring the therapy and counseling route and I've spoken about that at length for my podcast and I won't take up the whole time here but in a nutshell at the time it didn't work for me yeah, and I was paired up with somebody who at the time I don't think was made for me and as all therapy not all made for you you have to find your fit but at that time, I was in such a desperate place. I was like, I actually don't have time to do the shopping. Yeah, I felt, right. yeah. I was like, that's I right. if I don't find someone quick time, I was very scared of what I was going to do. And I was just like, I'm impatient anyway. And I was just like, I want the first fit to be the fit and it to help me fix me. That was really at the core when I was writing on these online therapy websites what do you want for therapy I was like fix me like just straight up fix me yeah. and now of years work and learning that is not the process but at that time it's just desperation yeah 100% and, yeah and it's a really big jump from so that's three years in so this is yes autumn of 2019 and I'd gone from okay that support method didn't work for me yeah. but I, 
it, although that was quite disheartening, it wasn't, it didn't feel, I just knew that wasn't the only method. Yeah. I just, there was something in me. I just, I thought, I know that it's like 7 billion people in this world and I am surely not the only bugger that therapy doesn't work for. Come off it. And it was almost, this, yeah, I was just like, oh my God, I need to find these others who don't, who it hasn't worked for. And more at the core of that was just find people who look like you, sound like you, are a bit like you, Amber, who are going through similar things like you. And so it was after a really rocky holiday that ended up in bad food poisoning that just this random light bulb moment came. And I just thought, I'm going to start a podcast and a page and I'm just going to literally brain dump the previous three years and everything up until that point that I'd been thinking, feeling and just dump it all and have no plan for it and just put it out into the abyss. And it's my documentation. And I hope maybe I might find maybe a couple friends from it. Maybe that was the hope. And so came up from the holiday, really excited. And just, as I said, there was no plan. There was no plan for it to ever reach a stage that it was today yeah. and and go on to do incredible work and work with amazing people. It was just, people say, what was it born from? I said, desperation. I was desperate. And I wish, I say, oh, I wish there was a more glamorous part, but in a way, not, I think. Yeah. I looked at my life and there was a gap in a, a quote unquote market. And I just went, I'm going to feel that in some way, no matter how big a change I might do or not, if I can make a change in my life and maybe a small handful of people, I'll feel I've succeeded. And so I started the page first and just I put it out to my friends and family. And I was just like, here's this logo that I've made in this shoddy little app. I don't know. And here's the name. That was the first name that I ever ran away with. Never had any, I was just like, yeah, the grief gang, it just makes total sense. And came home and I just shared it with them all. And they met me with love and admiration and support. And so it started off as just like a small pool of my friends and family. And then slowly but surely the ripple effect happened and people were sharing and more people found me and resonated in my words and we were having conversations and I was like oh my god I'm really not the only one and it just snowballed into 2020 obviously we hit the pandemic and it forced us all online and what that enabled me was to just really sit and connect with this growing community that was very sadly growing at such a rate because yeah. of the pandemic and more people were having people die either via the virus or other deaths and were all they couldn't have their normal or what we quote as normal sort of societal ways when we grieve and when someone dies of how we go we go to our friend's house for a cup of tea we sit with them we go to a full funeral people didn't have that they had the internet and more times than most they'd come online and find people like you and I and so we became their community their close-knit community that when they woke up in the morning yet another day in lockdown they know that whoever's posting doing a podcast they weren't feeling alone and the year of 2020, yeah, it just really took off and I was able to truly connect with my community and talk with them day in, day out. And with that, it's just come amazing opportunities that I could never have dreamed of. I've been able to go into parliament and to universities yeah. and just be, and be above all of that. 
all that lovely amazing cool stuff the thing that just keeps me going every day is that I'm able just to I still I can just log on and just talk to these amazing people and put something out and be like do you feel this and people's stories I'm just I'm I was so grateful that every season and with every year that goes by I'm able to I people give me a gift like people say I might give a gift back they give me the gifts of their stories and their loved ones and it's been hands down the best desperate thing I ever did (laughs) it's such an incredible story that I think is born out of the best of all the things which is deep emotional need and then your own wisdom like I love even though I'm a trauma therapist even though I am somebody who's ensconced in therapy I had a similar experience which is when I went to treatment after my mom died and when I came out I didn't want to talk about it I didn't want to sit with people and especially I didn't want them to say things to me that I'm like, yeah, I read that book too. I know that also (laughs) read that one, mate. But I do, I think there is something about what you're describing, which is you went from feeling really isolated, burning people down and then understanding that you needed people, you needed community. And it's almost it to me, the image I have in my mind is you're like, okay, I'm sitting on this bench. And I'm just going to tell everybody about what I'm doing here. And if you want to come to the bench, then that might help. Yeah. But the idea that you started with was, I need help. This might help Mm -hmm. me. And I think, I don't know, there's so much wisdom in, I'm going to try to help myself in the way that I need to be helped. And then we discover, oh, lo and behold, there's tens of thousands of people out there that also need what you need. Yeah. And in the tone that you need and in the voice that you need and, I do want to just say this to you because I think about it all the time. 19 is an extraordinary Mm. time in life to be left without someone. It's not just a mom, but you were close to your mom. She Mm. was your person. It's an extraordinary time to suddenly be like, hey, go navigate this by yourself. Because many of us at that stage in life are still looking to parents to co-sign. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good idea. Or still looking to parents to affirm or to ask questions about taxes. Yeah. And so to be thrown into that and then, and, you know, come out the other side, having built something that you could never imagine. And that wouldn't be there if your mom had died is yeah. such an incredible healing legacy. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Megan. And it is, I think only in recent, I'd say the last year that I've actually really sat with the age I was when she died for so long I really undermined that age I I would often think okay yeah losing a parent or whoever a significant loved one young is shit but I was like but it'd probably be the same if I lost her when I was like 25 or when I'm like 30 there is no right age to lose a parent I I do fully believe that you can be however old and you always in you go infant like when you lose that person but and I for so long I plastered that onto it of it wouldn't matter whatever it was still been rubbish whatever age but actually now that I'm getting older and, and further away from that age and there's maybe more younger people in my life cousins I don't know and I look at them and they're 16 17 18 19 and I look at them and I think you can't even wipe your ass properly without <laughs> without guidance and yeah. looking at them and thinking imagining their 
think the parent are dying and thinking how would they cope and that is what has been able to for me to grant that 19 year old version of myself a lot of grace and a lot of respect actually I used to really give the 19 and those three years version of me 19 to 22 a really tough time because of what I did yeah because of how much I set my I sabotaged my own life I was like there's things I don't live in regret of the things that I may have done or said to people it was what was true to me at the time but I look back and I used to really despise her despise and almost I say her and I talk like we are like different people it is me and I just really gave myself a hard time and now I'm able just to look back and go oh you were just a baby girl like you were just trying to find your feet and it was just coming out in what in I say wrong ways but even saying wrong doesn't feel right to me anymore like it was just what I knew I didn't have the language I didn't have the coping mechanism didn't have the support system whereas the things that I felt when I was 19 and in that three years 19 to 22 I sometimes still feel those things now anger resentment whatnot but the difference is that now I now have the language and the tools to express that and then I have a resource to but because I was so young then and had no experience of anyone going through this or any material to look and somebody to look to, I was just like, I'm just going to roll with the punches here and just express. I'm, I've never been somebody who was, if I'm feeling something, I'm going to tell you about it. If you piss me off, I'm going to tell you about it. If you upset me, I'm going to tell you about it. If you made me happy, I'm going to tell you about it. So that was what felt necessary to me then. People were upsetting me. And when I just lost my mum, I'd tell them about it. But yeah, I really did undermine the fact that I was 19 for a long time. I was just like, yeah, anybody would probably feel like this and actually go in. Oh, no, that was a real tough time to tough age to lose a person in your life. It, it developmentally, it's hard to be 19. When mm. I was 19, I was still asking my parents for like cash to go to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I didn't even need it, but I just wanted them to have to pay. So it's you know, a safety net. It's this, yeah, yeah. It's just having that safety net and knowing that it's there. I think the way you talk about anger is like transformative. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the sort of way that I have studied certain aspects of therapy, one of them is about the parts of you that develop to protect you. And it's Dick Schwartz's work. I did not have any anger as a young person. I was very people pleasing. There was some chaos in my household. So I just never was angry. And so my therapist way back in my twenties would be like, and what does your family do when you get angry? And I'm like, I'm lucky. I just don't ever get angry. So I had, she, she was like, yeah, that's not how that works. And if you're not being angry, you're also not being some other feelings, maybe even some good ones. So when By the time my dad died when I was 43, my mom died when I was 45, grown ass woman, kids, house, car, business, all the things. By the time I, by the time my dad was dying, he died of cancer over the course of a year. I was pretty aware of how my anger would come in. It mostly came in when I was in hospitals. I used to work in a hospital. So somebody would come in and be like, we can't do that. And I would be like, actually, I know you can do it. And it's part of the law and you have to, I could, my mother would be like, don't talk to people like that. I'm like, nope, it get, and you know what? It got the job done. The person would come in and be like, you're right. We're going to take him and (laughs) do that testing. I was not prepared for the way anger showed up. So I was 45, not 19. And I burnt some shit down. Some of it I look at and I'm like, it's fine. Some of those relationships probably like any big transition in your life, they probably weren't going to make it. Exactly. 
if it went then it would have been later yeah but my fucking fury at people for just not yeah being overwhelmed by grief or having a normal thanksgiving yeah or there's a part in my memoir that's coming out in a little bit and i've said this on the podcast before i have a neighbor we look after each other's kids. We're really yeah. good friends. She brings her kids over, two girls, drops them off on my porch. The girls come in the house and they're like, my mom's going to the grocery store. So mm-hmm. it was, I don't know, three or four months after my mom died. I was not well. Mm-hmm. I was not okay. And all of a sudden I hear two voices that aren't my kids in the house. And they're like, oh, my mom's going to get her haircut. And we're just going to play in your backyard for a couple of hours. And we'll, and I went upstairs yeah. Where my husband was working. And I was like, what kind? And I can tell the story because my I've told my neighbor this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what kind of a fucking bitch would drop her two terrible children at our <laughs> house for hours? She's going to get her hair colored. And that takes time. And, and that takes time. Any woman out there knows. <laughs> husband looked at me. He gave me this look. And my husband's a good man who doesn't lie to me. And I was like, oh. I'm out of order. Just the look. Yeah. Like I am, I'm at the edge, aren't I? And he was like, you are a little bit like, this is normal behavior, but you are not, you're in a spaceship and you're not in, yeah. in the normal orbit. Yeah. And so what I did in those moments, but only really with the guidance of other people was like, hold it or yeah. walk upstairs and not say it. But mm-hmm. Amber, I got decades on you and I didn't, I had a screaming fight with a friend in a parking lot and we'll never recover from it. Screaming, voice raised. Yeah. And I don't feel proud of those moments, but I really appreciate your, what you just said is you have a lot of compassion, even though I would have liked to have done better. And actually I think the people around me deserved better. I'm sure I had better to offer. This is the part, literally, where you didn't have that to offer. And like you as well, look back and yet arguments with friends and heated moments with family members. And I think, as we said as well, would they have survived another test later on in the friendship if it weren't this, if not when? And kind of the only thing regret is how, how, yeah, not proud of myself with that. Not regretting how it turned out, but yeah, not proud sometimes of things we may have said and how we may have conveyed ourselves. But. We did the best of what we've got. Yeah. We can't go back and say, oh, I know this now. You should have done this. You should have done that. Yeah. My Um, apologies were often, you deserved a different version of me. That person was not available. And I was very careful having done a lot of torching things, not to say, and I'd like to come back into relationship with people who I felt like maybe that's, maybe there is some truth in the way in which we separated here. Maybe this is okay, but I did mostly extend apologies. Some of the apologies I only sent by email like four months ago and my mom died three years ago. I I really appreciate this because I think the world doesn't love angry women. I think we don't talk enough about what anger looks like in grief. The thing that I say all the time is I've walked around feeling like I was wet yeah. If you walk around wet, like sitting down is uncomfortable and standing up is yeah. uncomfortable and the air conditioning is uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it just didn't take much to set yeah. me up. Mm-hmm. It just, and I can see now, God, I really was out of sorts. Yeah. But I remember being in the moment and being like, people are assholes who should all behave differently and get away. Yeah. From 
and should be told about themselves and should and be told about themselves yeah and should be told about and I still yeah. that to be true now and I think I've gotten better about telling people about themselves in lesser decibels <laughs> but still have that part and I don't I never even though that anger was a real key part of my life and my grief then I've not fully shut the door on it and being like oh I was an angry person then and I'm not an angry person now sometimes anger is the greatest fuel for my work and to be getting up and driving and that get it get up and go and it will always be a part of me yeah I'm hot fired yeah. I, my mother's daughter it's just how we get shit done <laughs> so we keep- right, there's a lot as long as you're not using it as a blasting weapon yeah what I've come to understand is actually I'm pretty good with my anger now I don't blast people with it yeah. generally when I'm not grieving I can usually say to people like I actually don't think that's acceptable or good enough or I'm disappointed yeah. I don't like that yeah I feel like I'm fair with my kids with anger I don't have none of it. I don't pretend it doesn't exist, but I don't Mm. take it to an 11, which I think I just couldn't. I think I only had 11 when I was. Yeah, there was no other dial. There's just one. But (laughs) I want to ask you something else about the trajectory, because, again, you've described it like you have these extraordinary opportunities and these collaborations. And I've watched all those happen. I watched a talk with you and Julia Samuel. Yeah. And I was like, look at her up there with the UK's like most beloved grief expert. Yeah, I, know. Laughing. I know you guys are friends and friends with her as well. I want to ask about your darling Poppy from the grief case that you and Poppy collaborate quite a bit. And she also has an extraordinary podcast and she let her folks know that she has an illness right now. And Mm -hmm. I, my my first thought was, I want to send her love and let her know that we are rooting for her. And then I thought, holy shit, Amber, Mm. this is her, this is her dear friend. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what, if you can talk a little bit about, I don't know, this is a stupid thing to say, but I feel like I feel like sometimes I feel like you're supposed to get one hard thing in life yeah. or, and if you get it early, then you should have had your inoculation yeah. and, your and not another hard your insurance thing. policy is met. That's so how I, yeah, would used to feel huh. like, oh, you've had your quota and your insurance policy. Like you've had your one shit thing in life and you're safe for a good, maybe 20 years. And that's, and some, it's just not so people get it thick and fast. And that is how I really feel when I feel with Poppy of God, fucking hell, can she get a break? And for us, just as a friendship and kind of, yeah, it's been Poppy is, oh, I'd love her so much. At the time of this recording, I'll be seeing her this weekend. Yeah. Um, and I'm so excited. Who she is and what yes, she Yes, of course. I'll go together. all the way back. Yeah. But yeah, so when I started Grief Gang September 2019, she was one of the first accounts that I found. And so Poppy's account is lots of submissions and people will write in and it's just beautiful writing on grief and she just shares it. She uses herself as a vessel just to pass it. And she's also an illustrator by trade. So she does beautiful drawings and art on grief. And she was just the first person that I gravitated to. Like when I first started in the space, I was just following and interacting with everybody. There was something about Poppy that just, I just gravitated towards her and we bonded and spoke on private messenger for a while and it was the february of 2020 just before lockdown was happening here in the uk and she was holding she used to do in-person meetings as well grief meetings and i'd been to a few grief meetups in the uk already and i was like they're great but just there wasn't something like my vibe ticking there so i thought let me try this poppy chicks out so i go there all the way to shoreditch in london east london 
and I turn up late. I turn about two hours late because I thought of previous meetings that I'd attended it was like you just stroll in there's no set time and you come and go as you please poppies was not poppies was you get in you sit down it had structure and if you know I know puppy so well now structure is her game and uh, yeah I came in it was just beautiful in this side room beautiful long wooden table like real banquet almost vibe and all these people sat around it and I was like oh my god like, I've now got to shimmy in and find a bloody spot now and so I finally found a spot at the back. Entrance. yeah and I was just like Jesus Christ and sat down and then they go around the table and we just spoke and I remember that was the first meeting I really cried while telling my story I think I finally had found a real meaningful space and I and what clearly was speaking was a meaningful person literally we were both double ends at the table she was one end I'm the other and I was talking at her and it was almost like I didn't want to take my eyes off her while I was talking and then after that I said, look, I love to have you on the podcast. Like, I love your stuff, blah, blah, blah. And she's, yeah, I love it. And we were walking back to the station and talking about just like everything that we think is just wrong with grief support, what we want to do. Like, we were like almost on air, like walking and being like, oh my God, yeah, we could do all this, do all that, blah, blah, blah. And I said, cool, let's get a date in the diary and we'll do a podcast. And then lockdown happens. And so our in-person podcast date was now being postponed. And I was like, you know what? I still want to do an in-person with you. So let's just push. At this point, we thought it's a couple of weeks of lockdown. And then we thought, oh, but we were just having so much fun online. We went, should we do some Instagram lives? Mm -hmm. We went, yes, sod it. Why not? And so I was on furlough from my work at the time. And Poppy's illustrating, so she, she works from home. And so we were just two girls sat at home every Wednesday at 3 p.m. logged online into Instagram and just sat and spoke for it was back in the day that when Instagram lives when it would get to an hour it would cut you off yeah it, it was those days so we would we'd fin- we'd get cut off and then we'd come back on again and as long as we do that like three times we would just talk for hours and it felt like it was just us two in the rooms and we would just be interacting with both our communities that were now joining and aligning and seeing us both interact and we just spoke about anything, everything had like parties in the evening, karaoke. We just had fun. We just had so much fun. And our friendship was strengthening. And although we met through grief, we were learning about each other outside of our grief. Like we started off with the tough stuff first. And then we learned, like, oh, you've got a cousin here? All that stuff. Oh, where do you actually live again? We didn't know nothing of this, but we knew the depths of our parents' losses and the grief that comes with that. And so what just so beautifully spiraled was just this friendship and then also this working collaboration of we were just two women in the space who wanted to see things differently and wanted to root for each other in those like in those scenarios like Poppy has been my biggest cheerleader in so many things in these big scare normally nine times out of ten in these big scary gigs where I've done like parliament and done this stuff who's in the crowd is Poppy it's always been Poppy who's been in the crowd and kind of been rooting for me there and so yeah she's just always been like a northern north star for me she's just been the best thing that ever happened and we've both done brilliant work together. Like we sit and we look and we just think, God, we haven't even scratched the surface on how much work we can do together. And we've just, and at the core of it, we've just had so much fun and just revelations. And she is just my person to go to with so much grief stuff. But then also just in general now, we just, I FaceTimed her yesterday and it's a tricky, tricky time for her. And yeah, with the beginning of this year, 
it, she was just feeling a little bit poorly and really wanted to just pump the brakes on a bit of stuff. And after a re- I won't go too much into her details for yeah, her but it, in the beginning of May, after many testing and a really tough April for her in, in and out of A&E, she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Yeah. And so it's really, I say really rare, but really unexpected, sorry, loud motorbike there, a really unexpected diagnosis in, in people under 75. And she yeah. is at present 30, 36. And so being a really close friend to her and being so gratefully now when in her circle just in general of her friends from childhood forever being encapsulated in that and being kept in the loop and being a real core part of her support team it's been the most insane four coming up five months going with her through this journey and watching someone you love so deeply and more someone I think the hard part that I find is that she was the person that I found we found each other in a really dark time because of such a dark thing that happened to us Mm -hmm. and when this diagnosis came and you obviously do the silly thing of googling and you hone in on all the scary stuff and you look at life expectancy and stuff like that and the journey that lays ahead And I remember I went to a real angry place of why my friend who I finally found and we found each other after such a horrific ordeal, does she have to live through this? Does she have to go through this? And I was thinking, don't dare take her away from me. Don't. And really like selfish. I was just like, I cannot. And to be, and she's my first kind of real diagnosis up front and my mum she was a heart attack here one day and gone the next I had a great aunt who, who quite who battled with melanoma but she lived quite far away so I would hear her but I was never really visually with her or so up close with it so whereas with Poppy one of my closest friends who is part of my everyday life texting calling seeing each other to be so up close with one's diagnosis and the changes with that and how they feel towards their own body and to their own changes it's been difficult but also just life-changing for yeah. I, I've really in the last couple of months it's just so cliches and it just puts life into perspective and it's almost like I'm just always channeling like my inner poppy and kind of stuff and I really feel like she although she's not that far away but really carry a lot of her and what she's going through into my everyday life and when I'm feeling overwhelmed I just I hone in on Poppy and I think oh the things that I may be stressing about and I think I've got a best friend who was just grateful just to see another day right now and who is grateful that her body is reacting to treatment well and that she is healing and it's on a good trajectory like I really think I've got a friend who's experienced that that is what I'm most grateful for in this moment and to feel really blessed for but yeah, grieving, and as we were saying before of, you know, we sometimes we think, because we do this work and we work with death and dying and grief so up close that we have the toolkit. But then okay. when it's someone who is so, and it just throws everything out the window, the day Poppy called me and was crying down the phone and sharing, I was just so shell-shocked and did not know a single word to say but I knew in that moment, I was like, she needs strength right now, but there was no strength in me to give. And it still is now. It's still a, such a work in progress. There's still 
she shaved her head recently and I think she looks so beautiful and I just kept you're so beautiful and just but then also trying to understand like what if she doesn't you know what's right and what's wrong and then almost in a way it's put me in the position and it's made me think about the position of people who are supporting grieving people and sometimes how helpless they feel and I have over years become a bit more sympathetic to them (laughs) I used to give them quite a hard time before I've been like you need to do and really pointing the finger and as time has gone and more work that I've done I have become to be a bit more sympathetic and actually just a bit more helpful towards them too it's easier to point the finger than actually say actually this helps too let's be let's be problem solving here kind of thing rather just than giving out problems and dishing them out and not solving anything and yeah the past couple months I've felt a little bit swaying between that oh my god is this what probably half the people who I thought and giving a hard time maybe felt like a little bit useless but what's really I've really tried to really just not ever lose sight of is that she is still just my mate Poppy and she is just so much more than her diagnosis and she talks cancer all day long with people and giving us all updates and is in the hospitals and in treatment centers that I just talk so I sometimes and I want to know about it and I send her love text her, I love you all the time and sometimes I just send her funny memes and I just go lol look at this and she'll send me all the time I wake up sometimes on Instagram to Poppy Poppy Chancellor has sent you a reel and it's just you should send me one today of like a seagull biting a man's lip it's just silly shit like that but, but I think that's I hope that what she sees in our friendship is respite and just for us to be us because that's what I still feel in that I still as much as the cancer is a big looming dome over it inside this dome we are still just being us inside of it and just being silly and goofy and highly emotional with each other and then absolutely cracking jokes again having the big conversations and then talking about the latest episode of a thing on ITV it's the ebb and flow of our friendship and that's what we find us found a steady ground there but knowing that there's still a long road ahead and that there's still even her like shaving her head I I anticipated this day from the moment she told me about her diagnosis you think so far forward of the challenges and the changes that she'll go through and now it's here and I was just like it was just so beautiful I really thought maybe it might be a real more more glooming time potentially but like the way she looks so beautiful your stage face I just went oh and you don't know O'Connor babe you look fucking gorgeous you look gorgeous she was like I know and shaking rubbing her head and I was like oh I can't wait to kiss that head when I see it and it's just us for just finding our way to cope but yeah it threw everything I knew about supporting somebody in a time of need and in grief and watching someone actively grieve for themselves it's just a different caliber in its entirety it's thank you for that's such a beautiful it's like a love story you just told mm-hmm. this great big love story yeah. and I do think it's super humbling to I don't know admit that real beauty grows from these really deep places of pain but everyone mm-hmm. that I've spoken to in the grief world that is the story that's something yeah. about the very sort of shards that they find themselves with of their last life means that they we just talked about burning some people down but but what we didn't talk about is so much the what you then bring into your life and it is really somebody who watched your instagram lives not three hours of worth of them (laughs) but, but maybe 25 minutes at a time you guys have a great 
big love affair for each other. Mm -hmm. And I do think one of the hardest things in someone's life is to have someone that you love and adore go through something hard. It's Mm -hmm. like you're adjacent to it, but it's hard on you. And it's almost like we need a fire brigade of support. You're going to support Poppy and then someone's going to support you because you don't turn to them in the same way to say, oh, I'm really sad because I'm scared my friend is sick. Oh, yeah. you're my friend. I have to be strong for you. Yeah. Except also we do talk about those things because yeah. what are we going to do when it's a dear friend? So I just appreciate you talking about it. And I've just been thinking about you both because oh, thank you. it is a kind of, whether you're grieving someone because they're gravely ill or you're just grieving the experience they're going through, yeah. like- I I talked to a client whose daughter is getting divorced and Mm -hmm. she's just so sad, heartbroken and grieving the disruption of her daughter's family life for herself, but really for her daughter. And it's just, it is a unique thing. And I really appreciate you saying, look, we don't really know in the moment, grief experts and people who talk about this all day long, don't really know any more than you. Yeah. For me, it's just human. We just have human responses. Totally, totally. And I think once I I relinquished that kind of notion really quite quickly of really giving myself a hard time of, I don't, I'm not knowing to say, but I was really just honest with her and just, and we are honest with each other. And she said things about her own mortality and asked things of me and it's, yep, okay, all right, I'll plan the funeral if you really want me to. Should we ever get there? I'll be your death do, yeah, whatever. And then also have me able to say, oh, I'm fucking scared, Poppy. And she's like, yeah, me too. But then also let's keep the positivity. If that's one thing that's really, she, she's just been, she, the way she talks to her body is something otherworldly and just, so inspirational and she's probably like oh shut the fuck up Amber's talking about inspirational but (laughs) like it truly is and yeah and it's yeah it's been hard what really took me aside of when Poppy shared about her diagnosis online and on on grief case was yeah and when I shared something was the outpour of people who said yeah soon as she said I thought about you as well and I in my world I've always known like it's been me and Poppy a duo but I didn't realize to the extent of actually of how many other people recognize that too obviously we work together really closely and we're really close friends but we're not every day kind of thing but that was that really to me really touched me because I was almost just pleased that and loved that people just saw how special our friendship was and is yeah and just how much and they so they didn't need to at all message me at all but I just thought I'm so glad people know how see how much I love this woman and that she loves me and how much I'm here for all of it and just we're riding through it together so yeah it's been a journey and it's still one but I think above all when I'm supporting her I just I really try and just think of she is just not her diagnosis completely eradicate that she is not her diagnosis part of her diagnosis but she is still poppy my mad hat a friend who likes to sing in the dry street who loves pink and red and a red lippy she does have great red lips yeah great red lip always a great lip and just there's so much more to than just high diagnosis and that's not to ignore it but to also remember that all that she is and still is and is going to be so yeah love her dearly I want to pivot. Thank you so much for that. And this is going to seem like a crazy pivot, (laughs) but 
I heard that you saw the Barbie movie. And I want to know what you thought of it, because all of my griefy peeps have some things to say about this yeah. Barbie movie. I'm going this afternoon with my daughter. Oh, you? Oh, my so God. So I haven't okay. seen it yet, but I don't think you're going to spoil anything because I'm not going to spoil. Like, no, I don't okay. think you're going to spoil anything because I've seen the monologue <laughs> with America Ferreira. I feel like I already know what I'm getting. We myself. basically watched the film yeah. on TikTok, haven't tell, we? Tell me how that landed. Oh, Barbie, Barbie. Oh, my gosh. I knew going into it that it wasn't going to be just Barbie Pink playing with I was like I knew there was a storyline to it but I didn't know to of what extent they would make me feel and move me and I was crying in this movie yesterday not I'm so sad but just like nostalgic and revelations about it and I went with my best friend who is also part of dead mum club yep. and she but she's hard as a rock hard as a stone and she'll cry occasionally when I was crying I was like are you not crying and she was like no stop it <laughs> and I was like bitch I was like I'm f-. I brought yeah. tissues in case and I, was like, I haven't heard one? of any woman who hasn't cried yeah and yeah. I've, I've written some I've written something that I'm going to share later this evening yeah. and on the Instagram so if people want to go back and read it and a little bit more to my thoughts I'm really just rolling with it and thinking about it but what Barbie it, it took me back to a place one of childhood and how Barbie was a huge part of my childhood and yeah. the relationship between my mum and I my mum would buy me Barbies all the time I had the Barbie dream house I had the Barbie car I like I was Barbie's number one fan and yeah. but what also I did I used to cut my Barbie's hair um, and in the film you see a sort of something like that as well which is really yeah. funny and singeing the hair and I was like oh my yeah. god it's oh me. yeah Curled it, melted it right off it's me yeah. and it made all these clips just transported me back in time like with my mum and she'd be so angry like, these weren't nice memories but more, more because I'd, bur- I'd cut my Barbie's hair and my mum would be like, oh, it doesn't grow back, right? And I'd be like, yeah, it does. She's like, no, it doesn't. Like, you've just cut off a doll's hair. I really thought it would grow back. And I remember once near Christmas time, I went into our back garden in the shed and I went to get my bike out. And in the corner was this glistening box of the Barbie car, remote oh control. And such an idiot I was I pick it up and I run inside and I go mom look as if I think I still believe Santa right. at this point so thinking right. Santa had dropped it off right early it off for later yeah for later for me right. it was a little while between Christmas I want to say it was like November time so a good month ahead right yep. and oh my god I'll never forget she looked at me and she was like furious and she of was course. like I'm taking it back to the shop Santa I'm gonna tell Santa to take it back to the shop I was cried and cried so much but lo and behold on Christmas day what was there in the pile that was I didn't have the car I didn't have the remote control car we we had the camper van but that was not we had that which was pretty cool cool. but that car was awesome yeah oh I used to whip it up oh my god I loved it but bar all of that the actual memories tied to Barbie and with my mum what and there's this beautiful moment in the movie and there is a mother-daughter duo in the movie which probably did tap into something in there but there was just this the real sense of girlhood womanhood motherhood and it was just beyond beautiful and there's a certain line in the movie that I know you'll probably know when you have to text me and you'll know exactly the line that it is it just absolutely sent me and it just made me think of my mum and I've really been thinking about it quite a lot so this is probably what's tapped into it of my mum outside of being a mother but actually just being a woman and what womanhood was like for her and motherhood too and how difficult that might have been at times and I think now that I'm coming to an age fully in womanhood I feel like I've just got this real new 
I say newfound respect for my mum as a woman. And whereas when I when she died when I was 19, I was just looking at this is my mum, she's my carer. But then actually just through this lens, through Barbie of just looking through and actually seeing my mum just as a woman and just wow. the daily gripes of what and the sometimes the uphill battle that a woman faces every single day and a mother might face every single day as well. And it made me think of just all the things that we did and sort of those Barbie years and my younger years and into my teens and all that should have been and kind of longing for that. And it just made me really think, I wrote in my post at the end of it, above all, I left this movie really understanding that I had the greatest role model and icon of time. And I was like, as the slogan goes, she's just Barbie. My mum is everything. <laughs> and that it is just, it is That's incredible. Make yeah. <laughs> I do, again, I think one of the legacies of losing your mom at 19 is exactly what you're describing right now, yeah. which is the relationship with a mother, with all your family, but it really does change as you yeah. age and you when I first had kids, I remember calling my mom and being like, how did you, I'm one of six, like, how did you make dinner? Yeah. How do I not thank you for making dinner? And in my memoir at the end, I think the very last line to both of my parents is, oh, it's going to make me cry. Yeah. I just wish I had more time to say thank you. Yeah. That, that as I get older, the perspective of the sacrifices or, or also I, my, my parents were like, grown-ups they weren't like sort of kids they were very grown up in my world so just knowing that they also loved Christmas morning yeah they were excited to take us to the beach yeah I didn't know that I thought they were just doing I thought they were hassled by the kids needing to do kid things but I I understand now so differently and I just knowing that at 19 you're looking at this and you're the kid and she's the mom part of what you're doing now is you're like no we are women yeah what it's like for women yeah and Um, I think the Barbie movie is tapping into shit for people across all the spectrums it's incredible and grief and feminism and adulthood and hopeful yeah and it, yeah, it's honestly, I feel like I'm going to have to do like a whole think tank on it because and I, I'm looking forward to what the comments are like with this post because, yeah, as you were saying then, it'd be able to just like how you think, oh, your parents just doing it just because you want to do it. They actually don't have any joy out of it. And so often and a theme in the film is actually the joy that the mum got by giving the daughter a Barbie. Really? And I don't have distinct memories of that, but I know my mum loved it. She, I would sit there for hours playing with my Barbie, even when I'd cut their hairs. I still love them. I still think they were beautiful, even though they look weird and stuff. And just how I, I think, I don't know. I, I even just yeah, looking for a mother. I'd love to have a daughter one day, and I really, I've got to pray I do one day because I think there's just something so sacred about the mother-daughter duo. And I think it's a duo and a relationship that my God is tested. I feel like, oh yeah, goes through exactly. My, they really do. Mothers and sons and fathers and daughters have their own, but something about the mother-daughter because I feel like as a mother and what I've been seeing a lot on the internet is a lot of mums after watching Barbie and they may have really little children and babies and in one side they see Barbie and what they talk about in it about patriarchy and the real uphill battles that we experience as women and looking at their beautiful little baby girl and thinking almost feeling this grief of you've got all this to go through 
and how can you protect your little dainty beautiful little thing but then also looking on the other side and thinking all bar all that barbie encompasses is that barbie can do anything barbie is a lawyer she's the president she's everything and looking at thinking Nah, never mind that she can do yeah. absolutely okay, anything perfect. she wants to and I feel like my mum definitely more leaned into that she was really anything you want you can do put your mind to it and you can do it and I think that's what's most made me really long for it is actually missing I wrote in the post as well and I was like although this movie is about breaking down the patriarch it's made me miss above all my matriarch and oh. kind of just real miss really missing that that female person, the female empowerment in your corner, ferociously in your corner, fuck them all. You can do it if you really want to. Like, I don't listen to anyone else. You've got it. You've got it. And missing that. I think one of the hardest, I think hard is the right word. The hardest things when I sit in it of the past since when my mom died in 2019 is all the parts of me that have grown. Yeah. I've written three books. I started a podcast. I'm connected. At, like I have a whole part of me. Yeah. Like when my dad died, I moved houses. And mm. I remember feeling really weird. My dad doesn't know I live here. Yeah. How would he know if he was right? How could he know? He I never live. this house with my mom. My mom was this incredible reader. Part of the reason I read my whole life was because yeah, she same. put stacks of library books in my mm-hmm. hand. She was very private and very quiet. And I think the idea of me talking about my feelings on the interwebs would have made her lose <laughs> her mind. A lot of people are like, oh, your mom would be so honored about this book. I'm like, oh, you didn't know my mom. Yeah, you didn't would not have wanted me to write a book about her. I would have done it anyway. Yeah. But I do think some of the like, some of what you're talking about, even in reflection to Barbie, just like knowing I don't know. I have this little bit of grief. Like our moms didn't get us get to see us grow these parts yeah. of ourselves. Like they didn't and, get to see everything that they instilled in us. They gave us the ability to like, or the desire. Or the they, yeah, they didn't get to see like, the best bits. I always say, I, I'm my mother is the best of me. She's absolutely the best of me, and almost she hasn't got to see that come to life. And she got the stroppy teen. Like, I wasn't awful. I was coming out of that awful era of my life, but I think she didn't get the best of me I know I had the best of her and what she could give us the best of her but I know she didn't get the best of me but then maybe that's giving myself too much of a hard time but I think more of yeah I wish she got to see all of those life lessons that she instilled in me and your mum and you oh my god that's my fucking crazy daughter and she's just doing her damn thing and I'll be like yeah mum rock on I hope there's some version. I hope we come to discover that there is Rabbi Steve Leader talks about this, that maybe maybe, I know he's the best, that if we look out into the world, we can look with their eyes. We can look for them and on account of them. And I, a, a friend of mine had her book launch out into the world and I was sitting just to the side of her family and watching her mother and her father just like explode with pride. And it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, I don't want this to be about me, but like my parents will not be there when yeah. my book launch. And it's like having a wedding and, and those yeah, things, yeah. those big milestones were like, you're, it's a happy day, but you have to, but I just remember having a little bit of that pain of, but my mom would have loved that. She yeah. would have loved the, so maybe you and I can stay in touch and think about how do we bring them? How do we, yeah. 
how do we hold them and feel them in these moments? Because I do think the work that you are doing is so needed. It is, you have such a distinct voice and presence that draws people to you that we wouldn't be able to bottle it or recreate it. It is just <laughs> Amber Jeffrey. It is what it is. I've seen you do big talks and I've seen people just mesmerized big talks in fancy places. And I've seen people just mesmerized by your willingness to, to share your own experience and that of your community and talk about it honestly and real. And I just, I'm so grateful for what you're doing and how you're doing it. I want to ask before we end, what are you doing next? What other than an amazing post about Barbie? Do you have more? Yep. Watch the post in the bar. Do you have more talks coming up? Do you have collaborations? Are you doing things with the grief festival, the good grief festival? Anything that you want to let us know about? Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for your kind words, Megan. It really means a lot. And there's so many times I'm a one woman show. And sometimes when you're doing the work by yourself and you think, oh, am I doing enough? Or, yeah. Am I enough? And am so I working? And yeah, I love a bit of validation. So yeah. I'll take there it any time. <laughs> much as I can give it to you. I love yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, in terms of this year, do you know what is well? Last year was such a busy year and I was just like, whoa, I need to pump the brakes this year. And I, I ended last year and I was like, I looked back and I was like, wow, fuck, what a fucking amazing year career-wise. Then yeah. I was like... I felt like there was a lot of sacrifices in kind of personal life. So I said this year, I was like, I don't want to get to the end of the year yeah. and not there not be like a nice balance there. And so I really pumped the brakes this year on the things that I still love to do, but just like time-wise. So I've been really conscious with that, but I've still done great things this year and it's exciting things. But yeah, this kind of back end of the year as well. I really, I feel like I just basically defrost for between January and June and then July I kick in a gear and then the rest of the year I'm like, yeah, let's go. So yeah, I'm, I am doing a, a really big talk, which I'm like, oh, with Julia Samuel. And we are going to Oxford University to speak it, right? at the Trauma and Mental Health Conference. And it's got Bessel van der Kar- Are like- you kidding me, Amber? I have chills. I'm so proud of you. That is amazing. I was like, no. It, I was like, Julia, uh, no. <laughs> yes. The answer is the yes. So yeah, so that's in September, beginning of September. So yeah, I'm a speaker there. That will be crazy. I've stepped foot on Cambridge and now Oxford University. And I left school with no GCSEs, no real actual hardcore education behind me. They don't matter, people. They don't matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And then yeah, I'll be coming back with season six in September. September is a busy month. I've got an event in London in September as well. And the most, I feel like, exciting part, like, all that is amazing and it's all, like, I say temporary, it will pass. Yeah. But I think the most exciting part that I'm really wanting to do, out of the four years coming up in September that I've been doing Grief Gang, the thing that I enjoy the most is working and being and in the close proximity with people, my community, building a community, talking to them, whether that's in the comments, in the DMs, in person at an event. And I just thought... I wish there was more time for me to offer them people something and offer like guidance or just everything I've learned and actually in a more personal way. And so in September and the later half of this year, I'll be introducing mentoring into the grief gang and offering, yeah, one-to-one and eventually group offerings. And so I'm saying that out loud, like that's the first time I'm saying it on a podcast out loud, but it's just been something that has been sitting in my gut and my soul for so long. And I've just been actually needing to get out of the imposter syndrome a little bit. I've been really like 
who the fuck do you think you are to become a mentor? Like you're 26. But I'm just like, my God, I know a lot and I want to pay it forward. Pay it forward is what is talking to me right now. And so I'm really looking forward to hopefully working with a small clientele of people and just honestly, just walking alongside them in grief. I'm not, I'm not a professional. I never claim to be, but that's what sets me apart. I've got the lived experience and to be able to walk alongside people through their grief as a mentor would be a huge honor for me. And just, I'm really excited to see this part of the business side of grief gang and just be able to everything I've learned and I'm continuing to learn to pay it forward and support more people. Amber, you're such a force. That is so amazing. I can't, it slays me every time I talk to people who are doing work at such a high level that we hear again, like imposter syndrome and all of those things. I'll just say to you what I remind myself, which is look, it's not all the degrees. Mm -hmm. It's whether or not you step into the calling because you went to people with degrees for therapy and it didn't land with you. Yeah. So the, you're offering into the space. what you needed and were seeking and you will not be for all people. Great. They can go somewhere else. That's why it's amazing that we're, that we're seeding all of a wide variety. I think that is incredible. And it doesn't surprise me that you want to be doing more of the one-on-one and the sort of guidance work because that's what you've been growing into. I think it's completely amazing. 